Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I want to welcome Peter as our latest Patreon supporter at the Master Detective level of $15 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Peter. Now it is time for this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, December the 16th, 1950, and the title is Missing Civil War Map. Now a full hour of mystery adventure, the Saturday night feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. 30 minutes from now, it's The Man Called X. Right now... Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Brought to you by the makers of Anison for fast relief from pain of headaches, neuritis, and neuralgia. By your local Ford dealer, who is now displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead. And by RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to involve a worthless scrap of paper, which almost turns out to be my own death warrant. Commissioner. Steve, I suppose I pulled you right out of a big deal, as usual. No, matter of fact, it was all very innocent this time, Commissioner. I was out getting some new furniture for my apartment. You were what? Sure. I just bought a coffee table with a lazy Susan. Really? Well, on second thought, Susan wasn't so lazy after all. That's what I thought. Well, Commissioner, I've finally gotten the jump on you. How's that? You're always calling me in here and sending me off into the wild blue yonder, so this time I'm ready for you. I'm all packed up and I've got my passport in my pocket. Now... What wild and woolly spot are you sending me to this time? Richmond, Virginia. What? You heard me, sir. Richmond, Virginia. Great. That's what I get for trying to be a mastermind. Okay, so I unpack. I wouldn't do that just yet, Steve. You start in Richmond. Where you end up is anybody's guess. What's the deal? Ekman's in this country. Ekman? Hasn't anybody done the world a favor by knocking him off yet? Steve, you know as much about Ekman as I do. He's part-time foreign agent, part-time international information peddler. He's smooth and tough, and he's been in our hair for longer than I care to remember. What's he doing in the United States? Can you think of any reason why Ekman would steal an old Civil War map? Civil War map? Are you kidding? We know Ekman went to Virginia. We also know he managed to crash a fancy dress ball given by a Colonel Carruthers there. After the ball, this map was missing from the wall of the Colonel's study. But I still don't see how a Civil War map could be important enough to... Neither do I. That's why you're going to Richmond. Now, Steve, get down there. Talk to Colonel Carruthers. Then go anywhere and do anything you have to to get to the bottom of this whole deal. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment... Good luck. Hmm. 
are listening to Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Well, I've had a lot of screwball assignments in my time, but this one takes the cake. A Civil War map yet. I suppose the next thing I'll find out is that I'm up against a plot to blow up Chesapeake Bay. It's Wednesday when I get to Richmond. I head for Colonel Carruthers' mansion. We're delighted in order to make your acquaintance, Mr. Mitchell, sir. Although I must confess I'm a little puzzled as to why they should send a man from Washington to investigate such a minor theft. But then the things they do in Washington have puzzled me for quite a spell now. We're uh, interested in the case primarily because of the man who apparently stole the map, Colonel Carruthers. As for the map itself... The uh... document is of historical value only, sir. As you see, my, my study here is filled with relics of the Great War. War between the states, that is. Yeah. And the map had no value other than as a relic, huh? None whatsoever, no, sir. No, it had to do with the Battle of Fredericksburg, December 1862. Uh-huh. A decisive victory for the South, I might add. As a matter of fact, it was merely a, a, a rough sketch, but it uh, was actually used by the Confederate Army. That gives it value to a collector. Uh, do you know this man, Ekman, Colonel? Ekman? Yeah, the one who swiped the map. The scoundrel passed himself off to me as a Claiborne. Fine old Southern name. Oh, he claimed to be writing a book on the Battle of Fredericksburg. Matter of fact, I remember thinking at the time it was rather strange. What was? Well, that he should be writing a book on the Battle of Fredericksburg when one was just published last month. One in which uh, <coughs> my relics and my research appear quite prominently. But uh, to get back to this, uh, Claiborne or uh, Ekman, yeah. Well, he wanted to browse through my books and my relics... I was quite preoccupied at the time. I was making preparation for a fancy dress ball. So I gave him permission. And uh, it was after the ball was over that I discovered that the map was missing. Mm -hmm. And the man with it. I see. However, now, if you would care to see what that map looked like, uh, there's a picture of it in this book I spoke of, the one that was published last month. That's the one in which my relics and my research appear. I, I happen to have a copy of that right here. Uh, the picture of the map is on page 263, uh, approximately. Now, uh, let's see. Oh, say, sir, just, just in passing, here's a picture of the very sword used by Jeb Stewart himself in the charge of oh, the yeah, Battle yeah, of that's First... very Ma interesting, but the map, Colonel, please. I'm coming to the map. Now, here's a picture of a, of a genuine mini-ball here. Mini? See, mini? Kind of used to shoot out a cannon. Oh, Colonel, the map. Uh... Now, here's a, here's a... Somebody else is really... Yeah, now, here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, the map. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You were right when you said it was just a rough sketch. I don't get it. Why would a foreign agent like Ekman steal a map like this? That's the mystery of it, sir. Of course, we're not completely sure it was Ekman who stole it. Uh, Colonel, these guests you were entertaining at the time... Sir, if you were trying to imply that the people I invite into my home are of the caliber that would stoop to common theft... I'm not trying to imply uh, anything, Colonel. I'm just... Hmm. Uh, what's this scrawl in the lower right-hand corner here? I see it, sir. 
Thank you. Oh, oh, yes. Well, that, that is the signature of the man who made the map, a Frenchman named Cartier. He fought for the South during the Great War, a great friend of my daddy's. As a matter of fact, it was Carter's great-grandson, Bill Carter, who gave me this map. Mm-hmm. Bill Carter. Comes from a fine old Richmond family. Carter? Cartier? Car- yeah, well, family. Changed the name around a little. I, 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 I suspect Bill was sugaring me up a little with the gift of that map so the young blade could ask for my granddaughter Juliana's hand in marriage. I see. Well, uh, thanks for the information, Colonel. I'll see you later. <laughs> I leave Colonel Carruthers' house still as much in the dark as when I came. Why Ekman would steal a map 90 years old is a way beyond me, but there must be a reason. I've got to find out what it is, which means that first I've got to find Ekman, so I start checking. Three hours and 25 bucks later, I find a cab driver who remembers taking a man answering Ekman's description to the Colonel's house last night, waiting for him a few minutes, and then taking him to a hotel in Richmond. I try the hotel, but Ekman's just checked out. The clerk remembers, however, hearing him inquire about the sailing time of a ship named the Southern Empress from Norfolk. I get there just as the ship is hauling in her gangplank, but I make it aboard the last second and head for the bridge and the captain. No, Mitchell, there's no Claiborne on my passenger list and no Ekman either. That doesn't surprise me, Captain. Ekman used the name of Claiborne in Richmond and he could be using another name now. You sure he's on this ship? Pretty sure. Well, you've written down his description for me. I'll pass it along to the rest of my officers. Okay, I'll nose around the ship and spread the word among the stewards. I think that would be your best chance. Incidentally, where are we heading? Lisbon, Portugal. Lisbon? Does that make sense to you? Uh, This man Ekman, I mean, is that where you figured he'd be heading? Lisbon, Coney Island, what's the difference does it make? Right now, nothing about this deal makes sense. Well, I'll check with you later. I nose around the ship all day, but I don't spot Ekman. None of the stewards I talk to remember noticing him either. By now, I'm beginning to wonder if he's even on the ship. This is going to look just great in an official report. Steve Mitchell, government agent on a wild goose chase across the Atlantic after a Civil War map. Well, towards evening, I head for the bar. Then I spot the girl. When I first notice her, she's three stools away. The next time I look, she's two stools away. Then, all of a sudden, she's right beside me. feel a girl shouldn't sit in a bar alone. Doesn't look right. Oh, well, now you're not alone. You probably think it's real brazen of me to talk to a man I don't know. Well, they tell me life on board ship is pretty informal, Miss... Uh... Besides, my first name's Zoe. Uh, Steve Mitchell. Now, isn't that one? That one? I just knew your name would be Steve. Oh, no, ask me how. I just knew. <laughs> well, you're one up on me there. I didn't just know your name would be Zoe. You enjoying the boat ride, Steve? Oh, not particularly. How about you? Sounds like this is the farthest you've ever been away from the Mason-Dixon line. Oh, now you're just poking fun at me, Stevie. I think I have myself a mighty fine boat ride. Sure enough, I managed to make me some friends. Poor little helpless girl like me, she needs friends wherever she is. I tell you for sure. You don't look very helpless to me, the way you've been downing those straight shots. Oh, those are just to give me some courage, Stevie. I'm naturally such a shy little person. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, you on a vacation, Zoe? Uh-huh. How'd you happen to pick Lisbon? Now, isn't that one? I couldn't in all the world tell you why, Steve. I just stuck a pen and a map, and it said Lisbon. I see. But you know, this life aboard the boat, it's all so new to me. Sometimes I wish I'd stayed right at home. Body gets to feeling so helpless. 
So now we're back on that helpless routine? Oh, but I really am, Stevie. Why, you wouldn't believe it, but I, I can't even get that little old door on my stateroom lock. 35B, that is. Mm. That lock just won't seem to work right. Isn't that awful? Uh, well... As a matter of fact, I think I ought to go try it again. I just know I won't be able to make it work right. Maybe sooner or later I'll find me some nice person who can help me. I don't doubt it. I'll see you later. Steve. You never can tell. Hmm. <laughs> That's quite a number, friend. Huh? Uh, I, I say, the little lady, she's uh, quite a looker, isn't she? <laughs> well, she's looking all right. <laughs> Uh, Cully's the name, friend. John J. Cully. Mitchell's mine. How are you? Oh, well, I've had a little bout with my stomach right after we put to sea, but I'm feeling much better now. See, this is my first boat trip. I've ridden every railroad in the United States in my time, but never out on the Briny. Yeah, yes, it's quite an experience, yes, sir. You uh, travel a lot? Oh, yes, yes, sure do, sure do. Uh, here's my card, friend. John J. Cully, Acme Button Company. Well, you sell buttons? Well, I don't give them away. <laughs> oh. Yes, I figure I've sold an average of two-thirds a button to every man, woman, and child of the United States. Quite a record. But what good's two-thirds a button? <laughs> oh, say, you're mighty quick on the uptake then. Yeah, I'm a car. Uh, you ought to be shuffled and cut. <laughs> oh, fine. You know, you and I speak the same language, Fred. Thanks. Yes, I've sold buttons in every state there is. Now I'm going over to do the same thing in Europe. The uh, zipper doesn't have you scared, huh? Well, sir, that used to be a dirty word to me. <laughs> but the way I've got it figured out now is this is a big world, friend. And there's room in it for the zipper and the button. Well, that's reassuring. You know, our president said to me not a week ago, he called me into his office, he did, plunked me down in the chair, and then old S.H. says, S.H., that's our president, says to me, J.J., uh, that, that's, that's That's me. you. Right, yes. <laughs> he says to me, go out, J.J., Go out and button up the world. <laughs> it's a great thought, isn't it? Oh, inspiring. I beg your pardon, Mr. Mitchell. Oh, uh, Captain, excuse me, Mr. Cully. Oh, yeah, sure thing, friend. Uh, keep them flying. <laughs> you mean keep them buttoned. <laughs> uh, what is it, Captain? You know that particular passenger you're looking for? Ekman? Well, there's a man in 31B who answers the general description, but his name is Pettibone. Mm, thanks, Captain. I'll pay him a little visit. Thirty-one B. Why, Stevie? Well, Miss Magnolia Blossom, <laughs> I thought your stateroom was thirty-five B. Oh, it is, but I always feel that a person belongs to get acquainted with the neighbors. And when Mr. Pettibone was kind enough to ask me to step in for a teeny little old drink, where oh, is Mr. Pettibone? He just stepped out for me, and I'll be right back. You said you were just on a vacation, didn't you, Zoe? I sure enough did. You're sure that's all there is to it? You don't happen to be interested in any Civil War relics, do you? You mean a war between states? Well, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about, Steve. I don't... Oh, here's Mr. Oh, Pettibone now. Hold it. Where's that go with me? I'm... You're not Eggman. Of course, Uncle Eggman. Of course I'm not Eggman. I'm Mr. Pettibone, if you huh? please. And if you're a private detective, you can tell my wife. That... Private detective? Wife? Oh, great. Thank you and good evening, Mr. Pettibone. I go back on deck and I realize I'm getting nowhere fast. The old feeling that this whole thing is some kind of a gag starts gnawing away at me again. Then the captain sends word to me that the mate has spotted another passenger who answers Ekman's description, a man in 42B. So I head below again, probably another wild goose chase, but I've got to follow it up. I knock. No answer. Door's unlocked. I go inside. Stateroom's dark. 
and I catch a whiff of a heavy Swedish smell. I flick on the lights. The room is all torn up. Then I hear a sound behind me. I start to whirl around, but too late. Something hard connects over my right ear, and I hit the deck. When I come out of it, I know I've finally found Ekman. But I still don't know why he swiped the Civil War map. He's very, very dead. Have you ever wondered what Hope says to Crosby? Let's listen and find out. Say, Bob, incidentally, now that you're with Chesterfield, mm-hmm. suggestion, please. Yeah. Why don't you yeah. try and conduct yourself with a little, little savoir-faire, a little je ne sais quoi, joie de vivre. Look, VN Rose. <laughs> don't try to dazzle me with that stale French of yours. I could dazzle you with English, Bob. <laughs> dazzle be enough out of you. Don't, don't... <laughs> back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Any idea who killed Ekman Mitchell? None at all, Captain. It was probably the same person who hit me over the head when I walked into Ekman's stateroom. Hmm. Well, whoever it was couldn't have gotten very far from Ekman's room. What do you mean? Well, I came down the passageway just about a minute after you went into the stateroom. There was no one in sight. Hmm. Let's see. Who are some of the passengers whose staterooms are near Ekman's on B deck? Well, Ekman's stateroom was 42B. There's a Miss Forsyth in 35B. Yeah, the Southern Fried Chicken. And a Mr. Pettibone in 31B. Yeah, I've already met Mr. Pettibone, too. I believe that most of the rest of the passengers from that area were up on deck when it happened. Well, so now I'm worse off than ever before. Now I don't know who's got the map. I wouldn't say that. What do you mean, Captain? You have the map. I have the... (laughs) Now, look... Take a look in this envelope. Hmm? Hey, the map. Where did you get it, Captain? The mate told me this Ekman had asked him to lock up the envelope in the ship's safe, so I thought I'd better see what was in it. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like the picture of it that I saw in that book that Colonel Carrothers placed back in the States. What's so important about it, Mitchell? That's the point. It's just a rough sketch drawn by a guy named Cartier almost 90 years ago, so now I've got it. But I still don't know what the deal is all about. Wait. Did you lock up Ekman's stateroom after we left? Yes, I also posted a guard there. Good. I'd like to examine his papers. I'll meet you there in ten minutes. First, I want to have a talk with the Bell of the South. Well, I say... Hello, Zoe. Now, I just bet you finally came to see if you could help me fix that little old lock on my door. Well, not exactly. Oh? Zoe, the last time I saw you, you were in Mr. Pettibone's stateroom. How long did you stay there after I left? Only a minute, Stephen. Mr. Pettibone, he was quite disturbed about your visit. He seemed to think you were a nasty old private detective or something like that. I told him I wouldn't pay you no never mind. Why do you ask? Uh, Because not long ago, a man was killed just a few staterooms away. Oh, me? The things that can happen on a boat. Yeah, the things that can happen on a boat. I suppose you wouldn't be knowing anything about it. Hmm? Well, well, Stevie, whatever do you mean? I, uh... Hmm. What's the matter? Nothing. You got a cigarette, Zoe? Uh, What, what? No, Shugs, I'm all out. I see. 
Where are you going? I'll see you later, Zoe. Well, I do declare if you aren't the strangest man I ever did. I leave Zoe's stateroom, go up on deck for a smoke. Now I know the trail is heating up. I caught a whiff of the same aroma in Zoe's room that I'd noticed in Ekman's room, and now I've got the smell pegged. It's Turkish tobacco. So, at this point, it looks like Zoe's tied up in the deal, but... Before I do anything about her, I've got to find out what the deal is. I head for Ekman's stateroom to meet the captain on the way I pass the bar. Cully the button king flashes me a big grin and waves me to come over, but I've got no desire to talk buttons at this moment, so I keep walking. The captain and I go over all of Ekman's papers carefully, and finally, I find something. What is it, Mitchell? A letter, Captain. Written by a guy named Corelli in Lisbon. An address to Ekman. It refers to certain interests who are willing to pay for proof. Proof of what? It doesn't say. It also mentions an Ortig family in Lisbon and says they're willing to add a big bundle of money, too. Hmm. You think that the Civil War map is somehow connected with all of this? I think it is. It could be the proof this Corelli talks about in that letter, but proof of what? I don't even have a glimmer right now. When do we dock in Lisbon? Tomorrow morning. You know, I got a hunch that shortly after we dock, this Corelli's going to receive a visit from Ekman's partner. But Ekman's dead. I know. That's why his partner has to carry on with the deal. But do you know who this partner is? Yeah. Who? Me. Yes. Corelli? Who are you? A friend of Ekman's. Oh, come in. When did your boat dock? 20 minutes ago. Where is Ekman? Somebody caught up with him. He's dead. Dead? But the map? Don't worry about the map. It's a good thing Ekman and I both were working together on this deal. You have the map? Yeah. Give it to me. Not so fast, Corelli. I've been thinking. I'm not sure the dough is enough. What? But it was all agreed. The interest who wished the map are willing to pay $10,000 American and the Ortique family is willing to add another $10,000. Maybe the map is worth more than that. I would strongly advise you not to try and bargain with them. They are getting restless as it is. Any further delay might ruin the entire transaction. Okay, I'll call you in a couple of hours, Corelli. Very well. And if you do not have the map for me by then, I would not be surprised if the parties I represent had something for you. Something for me? What do you mean? A bullet. So, now I've made the contact, but I still don't know why the map's so valuable. But I do know I can't stall Corelli very long. I've got to get a line on the Ortig family and how they figure in the deal. So I head for the American embassy. The Ortig family? Well, sure, they've been a thorn in our side for quite a while, Mitchell. At least Mrs. Ortig has. What about them? That's just what I'd like to know, Woods. What about them? Well, Mrs. Ortig owns some land in the Middle East with a chromite mine on it. You know, the stuff that's used in steel manufacturing. Yeah. She's leased the mine to the interests on the other side of the fence. We like the lease because we need all the chromite we can get. Her husband's willing to go along with us, but she says no soap. And it's her land, so there we are. Mm. How'd this Mrs. Ortig get the land in the first place? Well, we've got a pretty big file on it. She inherited the land from her grandfather. He was the only living relative of his uncle. There'd been a son, but he was lost at sea on the way to America. So the upshot is, old man Cartier leaves the land to his nephew, who in turn leaves it to his granddaughter, Mrs. Ortig. And... Wait a minute. Did you say Cartier? Yeah, Mrs. Ortig's maiden name. Why, does the name ring a bell? A fire alarm. Let me check those files. I think this whole deal just fell into place. I go through the files, and ten minutes later, I've got the answer. I go out and get into my car... And as I'm pulling away from the curb, I smell a very familiar aroma. The same Turkish tobacco I'd noticed in Ekman's room at the time of his murder and later in Zoe's room. But before I can turn my head around, there's a gun barrel pressing against the back of my neck. Well, hello, Zoe. 
I can't say I'm too surprised to find you in my back seat. <laughs> I'm afraid you've got the wrong party, friend. Uh, Cully. Yes, just call me J.J. Now keep your eyes straight ahead, friend. So the word's leading button salesman turns out to be the big boy in this deal. Right you are, friend. Now there's only one thing more I have to button up. What's that? You. And I can do that very nicely with just one slug. Here's a word from RCA Victor. Only six shopping days before Christmas. But that still gives you time to adopt the RCA Victor plan for 365 Christmases every year. Just hire yourself to your RCA Victor dealers on Monday and acquire that perpetual Santa Claus. The gift that keeps on giving every day, every year to everybody. An RCA Victor million-proof television set. You'll have your choice of 18 different members of the RCA Victor Royal Family of Television. Every one is a superb value. But if you're a real wizard at investment, you'll choose a magnificent combination, which gives you RCA Victor console radio and console phonograph right along with your RCA Victor television, all in one beautiful cabinet, and for far, far less than you'd pay for separate instruments of comparable quality. Whichever RCA Victor set you choose... It'll make every day feel like Christmas for everybody in your family. See RCA Victor Million Proof Television. Just keep driving straight ahead, friend. Remember, I'm sitting right behind you with a gun. Okay, Cully. Now reach in your pocket real gentle. I can pull out that map and hand it over. You know, it took me quite a while to find out why that map was so valuable to Mrs. Ortig and the outfit she's leasing that Middle East mining land to. The map proves that she doesn't own the land. Quite an important little piece of paper, isn't it, friend? It sure is. Old man Carter owned the land years ago, and he thought his son was lost at sea on the way to America, so he left the land to his nephew, who in turn passed it on to Mrs. Ortig, but... Actually, that son wasn't lost at sea. He got to America. And among other things, he drew a map with his signature on it. He's got some direct descendants in Richmond, Virginia, who are the rightful owners of the mining land. Sure. That's why certain people who are anxious to keep the lease don't want the map floating around. Now, come on, hand it over. It was you who knocked off Ekman on the boat, huh? Merely increasing the profits, friend. Originally, it was going to be a three-way split, Corelli, Ekman, and myself. But I figured, J.J. That's you. Right, J.J. I said to myself, why a three-way split? So you knocked off Ekman to make it a two-way split. I'm a jump ahead of you, friend. I just took care of Corelli, too. Now it's a one-way split. You're a real go-getter, aren't you? That I am. Well, that explains the smell of Turkish tobacco. You just killed Ekman and knocked me on the head when you heard the captain coming down the passageway. You had to duck into another stateroom and you picked Zoe's. She was with Pettibone at the time and... That's why I smelled the smoke in her room later. Look, friend, stalling isn't going to do you any good. Now, just trot off the map and give it to me. Okay, I guess I haven't got any choice. I got it here in my pocket. Hey, why did you speed up? I'm sorry, my foot slipped. Well, unslip it. Mitchell, that park car ahead of us. I see it. You're heading right for it. J.J. You can't shoot when you're draped over the front seat, J.J. Let go of me. Let go of the gun. No. That's better. Mitchell, maybe, maybe we can make a deal. Huh? Sorry. The deck just got stacked against you, Cully, in a little matter of murder charge staring you in the face, and I'm sure when the Carters back in the States find that they own the mining land, they'll be happy to turn the lease over to our government. 
You had it all figured out, Cully, but I guess you forgot that fine old southern proverb. What are you talking about? A man who poses as a button salesman sometime ends up getting clipped right on the article of the same name. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo, with music by Robert Armbruster, and is produced and directed by Bill Carn. Be with us next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Dangerous Assignment came to you from Radio City in Hollywood. Now, more mystery on NBC's All-Star Festival. Stay tuned for Herbert Marshall as The Man Called X. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Welcome back. Which is Steve Mitchell worse at? Calypso singing or doing a southern accent. It should be noted that doing southern accents is not a Brian Donlevy problem, as Donlevy appeared in the Lux Radio Theater version of Jezebel, which we played a few months back, for those of you with the app, and I think he acquitted himself rather well. This was just Steve Mitchell being goofy. I love the resolution. It was very complicated, but it made sense and all came together really well. It's a really nice, well-balanced mystery. Now, I did notice a pattern. This story was definitely not the basis for the Alvin Summers matter, but there was a parallel. In the Alvin Summers matter, the villain was a zipper salesman. In this story, the villain was a button maker. So, from now on, for all Robert Reif written episodes, I'm going to be very suspicious of characters that sell closures for clothing. And I'm talking buckles, I'm talking sarong ties, maybe laces too. To me, that is a giveaway that you might be the villain in a Robert Reif story. Or at least it will be until we find a member of the much maligned clothing closure profession who is not a criminal. It should be noted that Mr. Reif actually left the world of radio and television writing. At 37, he went to Occidental College, and his writings for the rest of his life were far more literary. And it should be said that Mr. Rife excelled as an educator. He became Dean of Students, and later Dean of Faculty, and his only return to television was from a pretty academic project. And doubtless that project didn't include a villain whose cover was being a Velcro salesman. Perhaps he, we would have gotten that story had Rife's life taken a different direction. Well, we turn now to listener comments and feedback, and Manias writes over on Patreon, Hey Adam, 
uh, and this is regarding the forged identification papers racket. Love this episode. As a musician, I was interested in the Calypso style of music by Lord Byron. I'm thinking one of these days I need to compose a little something in the Calypso style in honor of Dangerous Assignment and Great Detectives, just for a bit of fun. Thank you for all you do, and keep amazing. God bless, my dude. Well, thank you so much. And if you ever write that Calypso song, I'd love to hear it. Now, it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Bettina, Patreon supporter since May of 2021, currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Bettina. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow it using your favorite podcast software. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. And I should add, if you have one of our apps, uh, please rate it uh, in the store you purchased it from. The opinions of listeners like matter to folks deciding whether or not they want to give the podcast a chance. We will be back next Wednesday with another episode of Dangerous Assignment, but join us back here tomorrow for Philo Vance, where... No. No. No, I don't know, Sergeant Heath. I tell you, I don't know who killed Eddie. And I tell you, you do. Now look, Miss Taylor, this is my job. This is my office. I'll keep you here with me all week if I have to. You know something about the murder of Eddie Stone, and I'm going to find out what it is. I don't know anything about it. I danced with him, and that's all. I didn't kill him, and I don't know who did. I know differently. You were at the scene of the murder. We know definitely you were there. I wasn't. I wasn't near the place. I didn't know Eddie was dead until you came for me. Oh, please, leave me alone. I can't tell you anything I don't know. Oh, hello, Mr. Markham. Hi, Vance. Heath, this is the young lady who told me about on the telephone, Heath. Yeah, yeah. She says she didn't even know the guy was killed. But what she really doesn't know is that we can put her right at the scene of the murder. No. How, Heath? We found a girl's footprint right near the body. That's how. Now, footprint is the same size as this girl's shoe. No. No, she says. Yes. Heath, that's hardly conclusive evidence. A footprint of a woman's shoe isn't completely incriminating. This one is, D.A. This girl's a dancer. The footprint we found had a mark on the toe and the heel. You know what made that mark? Toe plates and heel plates. Toe plates and heel plates. Yeah, and who wears toe plates and heel plates? Well... Only a dancer. Now, Miss Taylor, will you still deny that you were at the scene of the murder? Isn't it rather unusual for a dancer to wear her dancing shoes out in the street, Heath? Well, you get... No, Mr. Vance. Not if it's the only pair of shoes she has. I was there. Oh! I saw Eddie's body after he was killed. We quarreled and I went out looking for him. And I found him. Dead. I... I lied about it because I wanted to keep out of all this. That's your story. No. You found him and you killed oh, him. Oh, no, I didn't. Ah, there's no need of you wasting your time here, D.A. I'll have a confession out of this girl in an hour. Friends? Well, apparently Heath doesn't care how I waste my time. I think I'll take a look into this case. What for, Vance? I tell you, this girl did it. Perhaps. But maybe I don't care how I waste my time either, Sergeant Heath. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash GreatDetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.